different versions of that scene from the Bible played out in more modern movies. I, I tell you, I did. I looked at for all the different versions because there's been several different renditions and versions of movies coming out. That's the best. It's still the best. It holds up. It's so good. Now it's like 10 minutes long, so that was heavily edited for you. But man, it's so good. And I have been told that I have Charlton Heston hair. So um, I don't know if it was an insult or a compliment, but I choose to believe the latter. Uh, I'm excited we are starting a new series today called Between the Waters, and uh, here's what we're getting at. A long time ago, we started a series, we had a series in here called The Gospel According to Moses. We looked at the birth of Moses uh, in the, the reeds, and then how he left Egypt. He grew up there, and then he left, and then, you know, he was called at the burning bush, and then he went to Egypt, you know, let my people go, and that whole thing, and the, the, we had the plagues of Egypt, and they left Egypt, and we took that series all the way to that moment right there, the parting of the Red Sea, and the Israelites uh, getting rescued from the Egyptian army, and there was much rejoicing. And now, I got to be honest, when I was thinking back to that series that we did. In my mind, I thought this was like maybe a couple of years ago. That was almost five years ago. That was five years ago. I mean, time has like no more meaning to me. I just, I give up. It's crazy. Um, so today, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up where we left off back in 2018. Ah, simpler times. 2018. We were so naive back then. Um, but this is why I believe this is the perfect way to kick off this year. I feel such a kinship um, with the moment that the Israelites were in right then. I mean, imagine what they had just gone through. They've been rescued. And then, you know, they're chased by the army, as you saw there, the, you know, Pharaoh's coming after them. And God brings them across. He brings them uh, across safely, delivered to the other shore. They're not in Egypt anymore. Hooray, you know, it's a brand new day. Mm, but they're not in the promised land either yet, are they? In fact, their real journey is just beginning. They even had no idea. Their real journey is just beginning. And just like them, I talked to a lot of folks today. I talked to a lot of you who feel like we've come out of a just a crazy, brutal last couple of years. Am I, am I right? I mean, with everything going on, the, the pandemic, global pandemic, cultural upheaval, you know, like we've just never seen in our nation. And praise God, you and I sitting here today, God has brought us safely to the shore. He has brought us across the sea. We are here. We can breathe a sigh of relief. We're on the other side. And God willing, we are, are in the season of a new beginning. And I am hopeful and I am eager to see what God has next in store for you and your family, what he has in store for this community of Generations Church, for, for our town, for, for the world. I, I know that God's got a lot of good in our future. But, but, how many of you know it's not all exactly milk and honey out there, right? The land of milk and honey is kind of what the Bible writers refer to as that promised land. It's not exactly milk and honey, which always sounded a little sticky to me, but that's the way they envisioned, like, the, the perfect place to be. It doesn't quite feel like that. We're still, you know, in an age of a lot of uncertainty and conflict. There's a lot of unknowns about tomorrow. It's not like we've made it to the promised land. In fact, like the Israelites we find ourselves between the shores of the Red Sea, behind which lies our worst days. Praise God. 
But we're between those shores and the waters of the River Jordan, beyond which lie our very best days, because I believe our best days are ahead. Amen? I believe that with all my heart. Our very best days are ahead. Your best days are ahead. And where we're at, though, feels a lot like this, um, the land in between, I've heard it called. This land of journeying. We feel like this, we're, we're in the land of, of trusting God, being reshaped. We want to be reshaped into the people that he wants us to be. That's what the Israelites had to go through. They had to be, re, they still, they were rescued, but they still had to be reshaped. And that's what we want to be. We want to, we're in this land now of, of relying on God for, for miracles, for daily miracles. And yes, it's a new season, and I'm excited about that. But we're in the land where we've got to rely on God for daily bread. We're going we're gonna to be led by the cloud and led by the fire and all that kind of thing. And, but we're going to be also learning to be at peace with where we're at. Amen? Amen. Anybody with me? And I have to tell you, I'll tell you this we're going to be okay. You're going to be okay, right? Because God's got this. He has brought us this far, and He has got something good in store. And so that's what this series is going to be all about. On one level, we're going to have a great time uh, just kind of studying chapter by chapter the second act of Israel's story, the events after the Red Sea leading up uh, through the wilderness, leading up to that River Jordan. But on a deeper level, Uh, What we're going to be doing is we're going to be asking ourselves as we go along, how does this reveal Jesus to us? Because that's what we're always after, right? We're always after, how does this reveal Jesus? What does this say about Jesus? What does this say? How does this reveal our need for more of Jesus this new year? Because I believe that God wants to grow us into a mighty army here at Generations Church. I believe he does uh, into a mighty nation uh, at Generations. And so I believe that we can be a blessing uh, to the world around us, even beyond what we have already been. As we just heard, you guys are already blessing the world. I believe this is just the beginning, though. Like, like don't, get, don't get just lackadaisical and think, okay, this is as good as we can do. I think we can be even more of a blessing to our community and the world. Amen? Who's with me? Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. You can talk today. Praise the Lord. So we're going to pick up the story. We're in Exodus, the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. We're in chapter 16, if you're reading along. What we're going to pick up is actually just one month after that scene you just saw at the Red Sea. It's one month, less than a month, actually it was like three weeks, before Israel goes from, whoa, look what God did, to about their present situation. It's amazing. They go from absolutely captivated with the miraculous to once again grumbling and, and grumpy, upset, because they're hungry. Um, and I get the same way. I understand. I get hangry. Um, but as we're going to see, God provides for them by giving them this miraculous bread from heaven called manna. And that's the, the, the little chapter of the story we're going to be reading today. And here's the punchline. I'm going to start with the punchline and work backwards, okay? I'm going to give it away. Here it is. Uh, in the New Testament, 1,500 years later after the events of the Exodus, in the New Testament, Jesus is teaching, and he refers back to this story. He refers back to the chapter we're going to be reading. He says it's all really about him. He tells us that. In John chapter 6, Jesus uses the word manna three times, specifically, more than once. He says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So when you read the story about manna today, as we're studying this out, he says, Jesus says, you're seeing a foreshadowing of me. 
So Jesus reminds us, we go into this text with our eyes wide open. We're not just, you know, we're not in a college class where we're just studying scripture just so we can get smarter. We're learning about Jesus. So have your eyes wide open. That's what the manna is. That's what we're going to do. So let's dive right in. Exodus chapter 16. We'll start right in the beginning, first, verse 1. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. That's ironic. It's a uh, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month uh, after which they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. That's it? That's your memory of Egypt? You've been gone less than a month, and, and that's your memory, is we had a lot of food. Uh, they, they were sitting around all the food three weeks after crossing the Red Sea. And what's interesting is they don't just come to Moses with the question and say, okay, Moses, so, man, that was so awesome what God did back there, and he rescued us, and all the plagues, and the frogs, and the blood, and oh, woo, that was nuts. And, you know, now we're out here, you know, we're getting a little hungry. What do you think God's going to do next? That's not what they said. They go straight to like the most dramatic hysterics possible, right? <laughs> Wanting to go back to Egypt where at least they knew where their next meal was coming from. Isn't it true though, when you and I, when we encounter difficulty in the present, we tend to romanticize the past, don't we? I do that. We romanticize the past. We, we talk about the good old days. Man, the good old days. Do you remember when? And the reason is because the present always has problems. And we don't think that. We think like, oh, if we could just get to B, you know, that place, the problems would be done. But it's not. B has its own problems, right? But we get there and we think, oh, if we could just get back to A, man, because that was, that was the days, right? And there's always challenges. We want to definitely, we want to remember the past and learn from the past and, you know, apply those principles, but we can lose sight. I'm telling you, we can lose sight of what God is up to right now if all of our energy is siphoned away, romanticizing some misremembered past, okay? The Israelites not only romanticize the past, they create out of thin air this sort of ridiculously hopeless version of the future too. Look what they say. We used to have it so awesome in Egypt, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve us all to death. <laughs> it's like, seriously. Uh, and, and then Moses quit his job pastoring and moved to a cabin in Colorado. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. What he actually did is he, he's, a, he's a good leader. He takes their cries to the Lord and he prays for them. He says, God, well, you know, the people, what do we do? And the Lord responds in chapter 4. He says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Hmm. Okay, so Moses and Aaron, they tell the Israelites all of this. Let's jump down to verse 13. It says, that evening quail came and covered the camp. So God didn't even wait till the next morning. He sent a bunch of birds, and they had like a big barbecue that night, so that's good. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Wow. 
when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. We find out later they call this manna, but that word manna really just comes from that very first thing that they said when they saw it. What is it? That's the literal meaning of the Hebrew. That manhu means what is it? What in the world are we looking at here? And, and what's so cool about that is that they refer to it as that forever. They're constantly reminding themselves that there is no explanation for this other than God. It is always to them the what is it, right? Every time they sit down for a meal, they're reminding themselves of this otherworldly provision from God, right? Honey, can you pass the what is it, right? Oh, I love what you did with it today. That's really, you know, you made banana bread out of it. Can, you know, something brand new. It's this this total miracle, and they're reminding themselves of that every time they say, what is it? What is it? In verse 15, uh, he continues, Moses said to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Now, this is pretty cool here, actually. What's, what they're saying is some people were more able-bodied. They were able to gather more. You know, they're just strong and quick, and so they gather a whole bunch. And some people are, were a little slower, and they gathered little some uh, are not able to gather much, but in the end, so even though everybody's responsible for gathering some, they shared it relationally. They shared it amongst themselves, and the ones who had gathered more shared it with the ones who had gathered less, and they took care of each other, and so they're just sharing with each other. Sharing is caring, right? It's just a beautiful thing. 1,500 years later, the Apostle Paul refers to this very uh, event and he mentions in, in his letter to the Corinthians, the second letter in chapter 8, he uses this actual verse to uh, c- communicate the opportunity to talk about uh, how the church needs to continue this practice in its finances. Uh, and he says that we need to be like the Israelites and their sharing of the manna. And he quotes this exact verse and says, those of you who are able to, to do more, to make more, wonderful. If you're good at business, that's fantastic. If you make a lot of money, make lots of money. Don't fee- be ashamed of the fact that you can earn more. But he says that it's so you can share more. It's so you can share more so that you can give to those who aren't able to earn as much. So he cheers for those people who are able to make lots of money to generate more income but it's an opportunity to be even more generous because that's kingdom economy right there. That's the kingdom economy right there. And, and this is the passage that Paul looks back on right here. Okay, back to our story in verse 19. Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it till morning. All right, so even if you get a whole bunch, you don't keep it till morning, right? Because at midnight, it all turns into rats and pumpkins, right? <laughs> don't, don't try it. However... Some of them, because there's always somebody, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Wow. Now, I don't know if you've ever left bread out overnight. I have kids in my house, so in the morning, I usually get up first and I'm making the coffee. Half the time, there's a loaf of bread that somebody did not twist all the way, right? Now, it's often a little dried out. If it's left out a couple times, it'll get a little crusty. You know, after a week or so, you get a little mold on there, but to be crawling with worms in one night in the desert, 
this is another miracle. This is a miracle in the other direction, okay? And God supernaturally is like increasing the rate of decomposition going on here in order to teach them the lesson of dependence on him, daily dependence. He's teaching them a lesson, right? You can't store up to the next day. Don't eat yesterday's manna because there's fresh manna I'm going to give you every day. Don't rely on yesterday's manna. See, and that takes faith. He's, he's training in them faith just like he has to train us. That takes faith to believe God's going to come through for me tomorrow. I don't need to hoard right now. He'll be there tomorrow. He'll be there tomorrow. You have to go to bed at night saying, I trust that God will provide for tomorrow. And he does. He does. There's this daily quality of our dependence on God. It's, this is the daily bread Jesus told us to pray for. Give us this day our daily bread. And remember, Jesus says, who's the manna? I'm the manna. I'm the man, though, right? Oh, that was terrible. So, so I have to learn that he's got something more for me each day. He's got something. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Verse 21, it says, Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers per person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses, and he said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So now God changes the rhythm of the week, once a week, on the day before the Sabbath, which for them would have been uh, uh, Friday. And they're to get twice as much on that Friday. And they, they, they don't gather anything on Saturday, and God doesn't provide any on Saturday. But the, ones, the stuff they gather on Friday doesn't go rotten in the morning. So God is see supernaturally, he's working a rhythm into their lives. There's this new rhythm into their lives. There's always that one day of rest where they don't gather. They've never lived this way. They've been slaves in Egypt. Egypt does not have a good work policy. There's no, there's no health care, right? And there's no two-day weekend. You work seven days a week. So he's working in a day of rest here for these Israelites. And this is the first specific mention of the Sabbath in the Bible. It's right here. Now, we know that Sabbath, that the principle is woven into the very creation because God created for six days and he rested on that seventh day. And it wasn't like God was like, whew, I'm really tired, I need a day of rest. But it, it's a rest from the rhythm of, of work and it's a celebration of just being alive and it's good for us, it's good for us. That day that you set aside, for you it might be actual rest from physical labor. You know, you, you might work hard and that might be part of that rest but the real emphasis that you're putting on here is that is setting aside a, a day for celebrating. You're celebrating your relationship with God. And that's a lot what we're doing right here on Sunday morning. When you come out here on Sunday morning, we're setting aside this day to celebrate God. We're, we're making this day different. There's something different about this. We, we could talk a lot more about the Sabbath. Maybe we will later in the year, but let's keep going here. In verse 27, it says, Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none because there's always somebody, right? <laughs> I'm sure the rules don't apply to me, right? Those are, those are cute rules for y'all to follow, but I, I don't need them. Um, that's, that's why some people, they, they can't help themselves. Some people just want more, Right? God says, gather twice as much, and they still go out on Saturday morning to gather more, and 
in our context, you know, we love to hoard. We love to hoard. We just do. God says, I'm going to give you enough. I'll give you enough. I'll give you enough. Just trust me every day in the here and now. Trust me. Trust me in this. But we either want to, to gather up and, and preserve when God told us to be content, or, or we want to work more when God says just rest, right? Stop working for a day. And we just always want more. And in the process, we miss out on celebrating life by having a day that's different, right? Because we've just got to get more. There's more. We're, we're leaving something on the table, especially in our culture, especially in our, man, in our culture, in our land, we have the ability to hoard more than anybody else in history. And we don't even think about it. You know, it's just natural. Um, we've got refrigerators and freezers in our homes. Every, you know, hopefully most of you have a refrigerator in your home to preserve food. You realize all of human history, nobody had that. Right? There was no preserving food in a refrigerator, right? Um, we've got some, you know, some people have walk-in pantries. Walk-in, it's like a room of your house. It's <laughs> devoted to the extra food. Man, and then some of us, that's not enough, so we've got a freezer in the garage. <laughs> we've got a fridge in the garage. That's where we keep the Cokes and stuff, right? And then our houses run out of room, so we pay people to rent us storage places so we can put more stuff right? So we can hold on to it. Because what if someday I might need it? I might need this stuff. I got to have more. I'm not picking on you. I am picking on you. <laughs> but God wants to teach us something. God just wants to teach us something about that. It's so good for us. It, you know, in Hebrews, he says this in Hebrews 13, be content with what you have. I love that verse. Just be content with what you have. It's a beautiful line. Learning this daily discipline of, of dependence on God, daily dependence on God with a weekly rhythm of rest. It's just, it's beautiful. God is brilliant. I'm telling you, he knows what he's doing. Exodus, back to Exodus in verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day and the people of Israel called the bread manna and it was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. That's not a bad deal if you've got to eat something for four decades, right? Uh, in fact, that's, that's what we find out. It says in verse 35, the Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to that land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan, that, that river Jordan. Manna, bread from heaven. That's a lot of manna. That's a lot of manna. All right, so first of all, in, in the time we have left, I, I want us to remember that when we're talking about manna, in Exodus 16, right, you got two things going on in your head, right? We're learning about this interesting story. It really did happen. But also we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. And there, there's some beautiful parallels I just want to point out to this story regarding Jesus. Number one, God's provision is out of pure grace. It's a gift. It is a gift of grace, right? The bread from heaven is pure grace. We don't accomplish this. The Israelites didn't deserve it. Notice they don't have to, they don't till the land to grow the manna. This, they don't have to work for this at all to make it grow. It just appears. And we don't get good enough or work hard enough to make God's grace a reality. You don't got to get extra spiritual this year. This is the year I'm going to get good enough for God's grace. No. His grace is a gift. 
It's a gift to you right now where you're at because he has chosen you. You are his people. You are his son. You are his daughter. The gift is free. Amen. God's grace is just a reality. And by the way, this, <laughs> this is why when we talk about God's grace, it is such a threat to the religious mind. When you start talking about grace too much, it makes people antsy. They get a little irritated because it is inherently irreligious. It's non-categorizable. Is that a word? You can't categorize it? It's unexplainable. The grace is undeserved. It's God accomplishing for us everything that religious, religion tries to do but cannot. I've studied a lot of world religions just to be, you know, well-rounded and knowledgeable and and there's some, you know, interesting and even beautiful little aspects of different religions and things like that, and belief systems and things like that. But you know what? There's not a religion that I've ever come across that has grace as God's principal motive of react, reacting with his people. Grace. It's inherently irreligious. It's undeserved. And, and this gift of God, it's provided miraculously. The second thing in this story we parallel with Jesus so much, is that we participate in receiving this gift. This is done in partnership. See, here's what's cool. This is a miracle that God provides. It just appears on the ground, but we get to partner with God in receiving it. This is the fascinating thing in this story, is that there is something for the Israelites to do, even though they are like, like babies from the womb, being birthed out of the Red Sea here, and God provides this thing for them. There's something for them to do to access the miracle. God brings it part of the way, but not all the way. It's a halfway miracle, right? It's halfway because God does what we cannot while still allowing us to partner with him. So we can't create manna, but he still allows us to partner with him. And, and so we can never escape the fact that we, are, we live in partnership with God. And, and even here in this story, you know, people may ask, well, couldn't God have just made the manna like appear on their plate? Yeah, he could have, you know. It could have appeared in their mouths. They could have, you know, been saying, hey, Jim, how's it going, neighbor? Oh, mm, mm, there's the manna, delicious. Or, you know, it could have just appeared, it could have just appeared in their belly. They could have just woken up and been like, oh, oh, oh there it is. Oh, it must be eight o'clock in the morning. Yep, there it is. God just gave us the manna, you know. He, he could have just supernaturally uh, made them able to live for 40 years without eating or drinking. He can do that, you know, uh, just a miracle of being. Uh, he could have made their bodies sustain for 40 years with no food or water. But no, he puts it on the ground and he says, I'm not going to feed you like you're a baby. I'm going to put it right there. So now you come and partner with me. He, he brings it as far as he can go. And an Israelite still is a choice maker. That's how he preserves the image, our image of God in us, right? That, the image that he gives us, the image of God is, is being a choice maker. So an Israelite could still get up and go, I'm not getting it today. And they're going to go hungry right? They're just not going to have any manna. But he, he brings it, and Jesus comes to us as a pure gift. He's a pure gift, but he calls us to access him personally, to come. So we, we, each of us, we take personal responsibility for our growth. It's not just going to happen to you. You got to take some personal responsibility for your growth this year, right? Put your faith in him, put your trust in him, and open the door that he's knocking at, because he's not going to bust it down, 
but it says he's right there. You can't hire him to come to your house. He's there. Jesus is there. He's knocking on the door, but you got to open it. Amen? Amen. All right, number three, the bread of life is accessed daily. Now, this is important. It's accessed daily. See, we, we're either going to learn to take advantage of this gift, receive it, right? Eat it, take it in, or it's going to go away. It says that it melted at the, you know, every, every new morning, the old stuff melted away. And this tells me that he has grace for us every day to sustain us. But if we don't access it, it's gone. There'll be grace tomorrow, but today's grace is available for you today. Today's grace is for today. Whether you're sitting here with me right now in this room live, or you're listening to this later in the week on a podcast or something like that, right now, in this moment that you're hearing these words, there's grace for you. God has grace for you today. And if you don't access it today, then today's really kind of a waste. This is a day you'll never get back, right? It's gone. There'll be grace for you tomorrow, but that's tomorrow's grace. You can't hoard up grace for later either. He has enough grace for you every day, but he wants you to take responsibility every day for accessing it or else he just moves on. See, there are things about Jesus, the bread from heaven. There's things that he wants to show you. There's revelation that you can learn from him that he wants to bless you with every single day of your life. I can't tell you how often I've had that little time in the morning. I've been in my, you know, I've said my prayers and I've gone through them and I've said my, the petitions of my heart for you, for you and for my family and would pray and then I study the scriptures and I'm reading his word. And that, that little nugget of revelation, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you have that little quiet time with the Lord oh, and you just see something in a fresh new way, you've never seen it before. Isn't that a beautiful moment? And there's something I know, man, if I hadn't sat here this morning and read this right now, I would have missed out on that. Tomorrow's going to have something cool, but I would have missed out on this. This is today's bread. This is today's manna. You want, I, don't want, I don't want a day to go by and miss out on what God wants to share with me today. And he wants to share something with you, beautiful and fresh and personal every single day. So don't waste a single day. Don't waste a single day. Number four, God's gifts are shared relationally. We're shared in community um, because you may have heard it said, no one walks alone. Amen? No one walks alone. That's something we like to say around here. No one walks alone. If you're, if you're doing this whole Christian thing all by yourself, it's, it may not be a sin, but you're doing it the hard way. It's not the way God meant for you to do it. There are those individuals who cannot go out and access it like you can, or they don't have your experience. They don't have your maturity in the Lord. Uh, they don't know the things. They haven't been through the, the, the journeys you already have been through, or maybe they're going out and they're just getting less of it. It's hard for them to understand it. They need help, and when it comes to Jesus, we, we do this thing together. We do this personally. We, we take responsibility as individuals, but then we also come together in community, and we say, how can I help? How can I put my gifts and my talents and my knowledge and experience, how can I add that to what's going on here? How can I challenge you? How can I hold you accountable? How can I help facilitate your growth? What can we do together? 
And some of us are just able to offer more than other people. Other people might be struggling. They might be going through a time in their life when they are so brokenhearted and beaten down, they can't hardly bear to go out and gather. And, and we can be there. We can be there to help. That is what the church does. That's why we come together. Because we are not just a bunch of single individuals out there on our own personal exodus from Egypt. We're not. Actually, the devil would love you to think that, that you're going through this all by yourself. Nobody's ever experienced what you're experiencing. You're all by yourself in a wilderness. You're not. If you are, you're doing it the hard way because we're all together. This is a body. This is a family. And, and I hear it so often a person says, I love Jesus. Why do I need church? Why do I need the church? Why do we need to gather together? And it's just so selfish. Can I just say that? It's so selfish because you're just saying, I'm all right on my own. I'm all right on my own. I'm really not into this like gathering thing. It's not my personality, right? I'm one of those people who can just, I can go gather the manna on my own and keep it for me. I don't really need the rest of you. But it's just not the Christian life. Right. It's something else. But the Christian life says, how can we partner together to grow? And how can we help each other become more like Jesus? That's, that's one of the founding purposes of this church, is getting together so we can help each other become more like Jesus. And maybe you are very exceptional. Maybe you don't need me. Maybe you don't need the people around you. You're one of the strong ones. You don't need to gather together regularly. Well, that's great. We need you, right? We need our strong ones to come and help the rest of us to have enough. It's why just you, even your presence here, just your presence here, you may think whether you were here this morning doesn't affect anybody. The fact that you're here sitting in that seat, I guarantee you, is a blessing to the people around you. The fact that you're, the fact that you come to home life, when you come to home life, it is a blessing to the people around you, just you showing up, your presence. We need our strong ones to help us. There, there's a communal nature to all of this, and it starts with personal growth, for sure. God wants to grow you, but it moves way beyond that, and that is the church. Amen. That's a, that's a word I hope we can take here at the beginning of this year and really understand. Why is this important? Why is this part? This isn't everything, but why is it important? Because we need each other, and you are needed just as much as the people around you are needed, amen, in your life. I want to end with a challenge to you, and it is this. We all need our daily divine bread to nourish us with, the bread from heaven, which is Jesus. We all need daily bread, and we need to make this our priority if we want to live spiritually healthy lives. And so that leaves us with a question that I think want, I want to ring in our ears this week, and that is this. Are you feeding on your daily dose of Jesus? Are you, are you eating your daily dose of Jesus? That sounds a little weird, right? Eating Jesus. But you know what? He, he, that's what he said. That's the way he put it. In, in John chapter 6, verse 56, he tells us to feed ourselves on him he says, eat my body, my blood. And notice Jesus, he goes all the way. He doesn't like water it down with sort of like spiritual safe language. He doesn't say, well, you just need to feed yourself more on scripture because the Pharisees were feeding on scripture and they failed to come to Jesus, didn't they? 
He doesn't say you need to feed on spirituality in general. He doesn't say you need to feed on love or you need to feed on lots more teaching or podcasts and books to read. Those are all good things, but they're not the center. They're not the center. Jesus is that place where the divine and the human come together and where that's where the reunion happens of, of God and us. And in that one life, in that one locus, Jesus says, you need to feed on me. So how do we do that? How do we feed on Jesus? I want to give you some really specific practical things to help you. Here it is. This is how we're going to feed, on, feed ourselves on Jesus this week. Number one, now, next week, we're going to have communion. It's our third Sunday of the month, so we have communion together at, towards the end of this, the message. But today, starting today, turn your everyday meals into a Eucharist meal. Turn your everyday supper into a Lord's Supper uh, by acknowledging His presence and inviting Him to be present with you, present with your family and friends if you're there with other people. Um, and no, that doesn't mean that this afternoon when you go to the restaurant, you need to stand up and dramatically hold the bread up and say, the body of Christ broken for us. I'm not saying that. What it means is when you are coming together, when you sit down for a meal, you can turn that into a holy meal of the bread of heaven. You notice something Jesus says. Scholars have pointed out when he sat there at that, the upper room, the Last Supper, he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. What is that this he's talking about? Some scholars have suggested what he's talking about is what they had just got done doing, just eating dinner. As often as you do this, getting together, acknowledge me. Come together, take a moment to acknowledge how my sacrifice has actually enabled your fellowship and your oneness with your fellow man and with the Father. So every meal can be a Eucharist meal. You know that word Eucharist. It's a Greek word. It just means Thanksgiving. That's all it means. It's not anything more mysterious than that. The Thanksgiving meal. Every meal can be a Eucharist, a Thanksgiving meal. And it's the word that Jesus uses when he breaks that bread and he gives thanks for it. So let every bite of your food and every sip just be, it's like an embodied prayer of gratitude. You're, you're just, everything is just showing gratitude. We just get in the habit of that. And, and it doesn't have to be some solemn thing like, oh, I'm, the, the blood of Christ. You know, I'm drinking my Starbucks and I got to think about the blood of Christ every time. But no, it's a celebratory thing. It's a delightful meal, right? But we can let even, even the act of, of chewing, the act of drinking while you're talking about life, or you're, you're, we can let that, our physical bodies remind us, I am spiritually alive. I'm enjoying this moment because of, I take in the nourishment of Jesus, the true bread of life. Here's another way. Number two, in your conversations. Fill your conversations with discussions about your love life with Jesus, your struggles, your joys, your hopes, your prayers, your needs, but most of all, the things that you are grateful for. See, that's what Eucharist is in conversation. It's thanksgiving. It's gratitude, even in your conversation. It's allowing Jesus to be at the center of it because your bodies are, you know, are now helping you remind you of who is at the center of your life, Right? So, so our meals, we're just turning them all into meals of gratitude, Eucharist meals. We're talking our conversation. We're just including Jesus at the center of our conversation. And then number three, we're letting those meals and those conversations be a launching pad to remind us to, to feed on Jesus every day in your private prayer life. Private prayer life is so important. 
Find, every day, I encourage you, find a, a 15, 20, 30 minute. There's no magic time, but you've got to find some space every day to sit with Jesus. Pray to him. Make time to listen to what he's saying back, right? We don't want to do all the talking. Let him talk back to you. Read his words in the Gospels. Read those words. Take those times. We've talked before about, uh, last year we talked in several different series about how crucial this is for a believer, practicing the dailiness of time with God. And God has something to offer you every single day. There is daily bread. There is manna from heaven every single day. And when that day is passed, it is gone, right? So don't miss it. Don't miss it. Listen, you cannot live on these Sunday Sabbaths, right? Jesus didn't say, for some of you, just gather enough to live on the, 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 the Saturday bread. No, you got to live every day on the bread. Amen. And then lastly, tell somebody about it. Tell somebody about it, right? Uh, because everything we do that really matters, has, that has lasting effects, is done in community. Uh, so include others in what you're experiencing. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Challenge one another. I love hearing from so many of you when you tell me how God, the different ways that God speaks to you or something, he just really nudged you, a direction he nudged you in, you know, during the week after this, the message, the sermon that we had together. So I'm going to pray for us today, for us to become a people this year. Uh, it becomes less and less like, whoa, this is like some serious homework, right? This is really some kind of disruptive project. I want us to become less than that, and more and more, this just becomes typical life. This just becomes our day-to-day life of a follower of Jesus. Some of us are going to say, I I really want to grow. Many of you have told me, I want to grow. I don't know if I'm growing the way I should. Well, maybe it's that your, your daily feeding on Christ just isn't there. You're, you're kind of wishing the manna will just appear in your mouth. And we need to go gather it. We need to gather what he's provided for us. So here, these are some specifics. You don't have to do it, but I'm hoping you will do it. Amen. Will you bow your head with me as we pray? Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, good God, we love you so much. Thank you for sending us the bread from heaven. Thank you for sending us that living bread. Thank you for nourishing our souls through Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that this week our lives will be renewed in greater degrees of of growth and delight, Lord, as we feed on the nourishment that, that Jesus Christ has to offer us. We thank you, Father. You are faithful. You have brought us through. And we are so grateful, Father. We we look forward with expectancy, with faith to the new chapter in our lives this year, Lord God. In the strong healing name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Uh, Our prayer partners are coming forward right now. And uh, if there's anything at all you need prayer about, these guys would love to pray with you. Whatever is happening, uh, if you have a need, uh, maybe it's a health need or a financial need or just a relational need or something happening, let these guys come and pray with you. They would love to pray. Amen. We believe that the prayer of faith moves mountains. And I'm expecting some mountains moved this year. Amen. Amen. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance and just pour out his grace and peace to you today. Let's go be kingdom people this week. Amen? Bye-bye.